0: Hello, everybody. My name is Jonah Halper. Welcome to the Pipeline Live. For you to be here, this is a new thing. This is brand new. If you are dialing in or you're watching this, uh, this is our first, first go at it. So you get to see it you know, in its infancy. And maybe when we get to episode uh, 50 or 100, we'll look back on this episode and go, wow. Well, that was the amateur hour. But for now, we're going to launch this thing. And I'm really excited that you're all here today. Um, We have a wonderful guest who I will be introducing shortly. Um, The first topic that we're going to be talking about today is around um, relationship-driven fundraising. I thought if we're going to talk about something, you know, first episode, what would that first episode be? And I thought it should be really something that's truly fundamental, something that, um, you know, isn't too niche, isn't too specific, um, and something I know a lot about. Um, I wrote a book on, uh, on relationship-driven fundraising called Date Your Donors. I've got a copy right back here. Ah. You can see that there, Date Your Donors. Um, and it's something that I am very, very uh, opinionated about and passionate about.
1: And uh, when I've
0: done a lot of public speaking, uh, it's predominantly been around that theme. Uh, I actually, when I launch any talk, one of the first questions I ask the audience and um, I frame it in saying that uh, I'm, I'm, a, my name is Jonah Halper, I'm a nice guy, I'm great with children, I'm someone you can bring home to your mother, I make a good living, I'm other focused. Um, and then I'll find someone in the audience and I'll say, will you marry me? Right? And of course, everyone laughs. Uh, the person who I ask, you know, turns a deep shade of red and uh, they say no. And then I say, okay, okay, let me sweeten the deal. Uh, let's say I give you a list of references, uh, professional references, uh, character references, someone you can call to verify that I'm actually a nice guy, uh, someone you can call to verify that I'm great with children, someone you can call to verify that I make a good good living, as much data as you need to know that all the things that I claim to be, I actually am. And invariably the audience or whoever I'm you know, asked the question to, will they marry me, they'll still say no. And the reason they give is, I don't know you right and that is the real underpinnings of a lot of what we do as fundraisers you can have all the data in the world you can have a wonderful mission you can do great work you can leverage the dollar better than the next guy but if you don't have a relationship with that donor you can't expect to raise more money and that's the those are the terms the terms are when i ask the audience is your goal to raise more money than you did last year if they say yes, which I've never met a fundraiser who says they want to raise less money than they did last year. But if they say they want to raise more money than they did last year, then I say to them the only way to guarantee that is if you invest in their, your donors' relationships and the relationships with your donors. It's the only way to either take your existing donors and raise more money from them or to go and engage and attract new donors. It has to be about the relationship. So I'm going to kick off the top of the hour here. The live poll question. This is for you in the audience. Uh, you'll see underneath the way it works with this uh, system. You'll see underneath your live stream video. You'll see uh, two boxes. One is a question and answer, like question box. If you have a question for for me or Jason when we launch, the, when we get into the program. Um, and then there's a live poll box. So in the live poll box, you'll see it's already populated with a question for a uh, question for you. Uh, does your organization support your efforts to invest in donor relationships? In other words. Is the place that you're working at supportive of the work that you're doing on investing in donor relationships? Um, What that looks like may vary between organization, but do you feel like that's a priority at your organization? Yes or no? So if you could please respond to that live poll question, and I will check uh, the live poll uh, in just a brief moment. Uh, But in the meantime, I want to thank our sponsor for the program today, which is Raise It. Um, RaiseIt is a fantastic platform that I have personal experience with. Um, we're going to watch a brief video from Raise It at this time.
2: Hey, fundraisers. Mailings? That can be frustrating, time-consuming, and costly. Just trash it. It's difficult parting with the past, but it's time to move on. I know it's tempting to spend weeks entering all that data into your system. It's enticing thinking of all the mail merge crashes and returned envelopes. But we've got another way, a better way. Say yes to innovation. Say yes to cutting edge technology. Say yes to raise it. We're all about simplifying the process while accelerating the results. We make it easy for your donors. So the response is super quick. Here's how it's done. Your donors select an amount enter their info and receive a confirmation email all within seconds. Compare that to the days and weeks that this exact transaction would take with a print campaign and you need no more convincing, but there's more running multiple campaigns. No problem. We got you covered at raise it, The options are endless. It's no one size fits all. Our expert campaign managers are here to help you decide what campaign model will work best for your cause. Here's a sneak peek of two of our platforms. Play Raise, a unique raffle of thrill where the ticket price is based on the spin of a wheel. Raiseathon, time-based and matching campaigns displaying the multiplied impact, all while incorporating a peer-to-peer element with multiple raisers and team pages. To top it off, we charge no transaction fees or percentages. Just integrate directly with your existing credit card processor. Got questions? We're here for you. Visit our website at raise.it or give us a call 732-917-8900.
0: All right. Welcome back. Um, I personally have used raise it. Um, They are a wonderful team. Uh, We did a charity gala virtual one because of Corona and a lot of us have had to move our, Uh, physical events online. So this uh, platform really, really worked wonderfully uh, for my client uh, based in Chicago. So I can tell you firsthand that they're a really wonderful company. The customer service is fantastic. And they're not commission based. No matter how much you raise, it's a flat fee. So I find it to be tremendous value uh, for all my clients. And I highly recommend you reach out to them for yours. Um, At this time, if you want to learn more about uh, Raise It, we're gonna launch the next live poll question. Uh, press one if you'd like more information on Raise It, or two if you do not, or you just don't have to respond to the live poll at all. Uh, but um, you know, wanna make that available to everybody because Raise It is truly a wonderful company. Okay, so now we're gonna get into the, the uh, meat and potatoes of the program. Um, I'm going to now introduce uh, Jason Zwang. Jason, are you there?
1: Hello, everyone. Hey, fundraisers, I loved your video. It was like the perfect way to start. It, hey fundraisers. <laughs>
0: welcome, welcome, Jason. Excellent. Well, I'm really happy to have you here. This is uh, a real a real treat. Probably because our history goes back 15 years, right? We were babies. We were babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sandbox. <laughs> we day. met in the sandbox, and yes, the proverbial early professional sandbox days. Um, what? Let's see. How did it happen? I was working for the Jewish Federation in Western Connecticut.
1: Um, your dad
0: was my boss. He was the CEO um, of, the, of the Federation of Western Connecticut. And there was a hurricane, which
1: which hurricane was it? Which one was a big hurricane? Katrina, it was Hurricane Katrina. It was the first yeah. major hurricane to hit the United States in a long time. And we were still suffering from it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, so that hurricane prompted a lot of organizations, Jewish communities, and many communities who basically organized to find ways to raise money to help uh, the families affected by it. Um, and we did that, we, we were part of that experience. We put together a tremendous rock show at a gorgeous community campus in Western Connecticut. Oh, look at that. This is Jason on guitar. <laughs> and that is me with Jason's dad and me giving a little rock star signs there. This was uh, in 2005, pretty wild, huh Jason?
1: Yeah, I can't believe you even have that photo, um, but thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, Im- immediately, you know, diminishing my professional atmosphere, my bifurcated life, you know, uh, my, what I am during the day and what I am at night are two different things. Yeah. <laughs> we do what
0: we can. We try to bring you dead down a notch. You know, we, you know how okay. the ego of the front user can get uh, up there a little bit. So, we do what we can. Sure. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, first of all, okay, so, so now everyone knows how we met at that time, and you were not yet uh, in your, you know, role as a professional development um, in that career. Give me a little bit, of, give, give the audience, I mean, I do know uh, what you've done over the
1: last 15 years, but give the audience an idea of, of what you've been doing for the last 15 years. Yeah, so, you know, uh, it's funny because I always use this analogy, like, you know, some people's fathers. You know, we're a shoemaker, and so you're a shoemaker. An accountant, and now you're an accountant. Well, you know, my dad was a fundraiser, and um, you know, regardless of his title, that's essentially what he was most responsible for. And you know, I never really understood what that meant uh, until I went to college. You know, and really started better understanding organizational development and things, and taking an interest in that. Um, and then I had um, you know just a great experience. Somebody took a chance on me. I, I I knew I wanted to work in nonprofits. I knew I wanted to make impact. Um, and, uh, my first supervisor, um, named Karen LaMalva, uh, actually
0: gave me a chance,
1: uh, working with individuals. Um, and so I came right out of the gate, you know, uh, sort of guns blazing there working with individuals and, in, you know, a special gifts program, um, at a university, at University of Connecticut. And, uh, you know, so since then I have worked, um, at, an INGO, you know, Habitat for Humanity International, so an international non-governmental organization. I've worked in uh, other higher ed, I've worked at a social services community action agency, I've worked at an academic medical center, um, and also a tertiary care hospital. So, you know, pretty varied background there. Yeah. And now you're the director of development at
0: Emory University in Atlanta, is that correct?
1: That's right. So I, I specifically now work um, with our healthcare, you know, patients and grateful patients, um, which is a, a sort of really unique style of fundraising, very different than some of the other styles that I've done before, um, you know, but but it's interesting because um, a lot of people assume, you know, it's like we follow these pipelines in, in fundraising where you start in one genre and you sort of stay in that as you grow, you know, and, and um, I wasn't, so keen on that idea when I started, and, and I'm really glad that I made that decision early on. Um, and what I've learned now is that everything really is about the donors. Um, and donors are donors, right? Behaviors don't change that much. Um, everyone is passionate about something for a reason. And and so anyway, it's just been, what's that? Did you find it
0: transitioning, for example, from like a Habitat for Humanity to like being the Director of Development from Emory University, a stark difference a big learning curve because of the fact that you know the sector that you were in whether it's humanitarian or social service into higher education university science medical you know was that a was that a difficult transition was that something that took some time
1: um you know it it, uh, it only took it, it didn't take that long because really I stayed focused the whole time on saying, you know, I understand what we're working here with, you know, with donors and I need to find out the framework that goes around this. Um, but, you know, I, I'll tell you one really interesting, very quick story. When I came on at Emory, somebody that was very high up in the sort of um, subject matter expert area in what I work in said to me, you know, when we sat down for an interview, sort of an old school interview question said to me, you know, so, so what do you know about this topic? You know, that meaning the subject that I'd be raising money for. And I said, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I don't know that that's the right question. I think the right question is, what do you know about relationship-driven fundraising? And you know, what do you know about working with donors? And that was really the start to what has been a wonderful time, uh, thus far at Emory, for the last two and two plus years, um, you know, and, and been the theme the whole time. is really just saying, let's focus on what our donors' needs are um, and really listen to them, listen to what they have to say closely. Um, and through that we will expand their expand their support and really their overall interest in being involved with the institution and it's been just like that
0: that's great um okay so we've got three topics to discuss today and i'm going to pony up the first one which is called know thy donor um so i want to ask you um and first of all to the audience who's watching from home most definitely everyone's watching from home uh with the whole you know work environment now uh, but if at any point you have a question for either Jason or myself or just want to leave it open-ended, uh, there is a Q&A box beneath the live stream video. We will try to get to a few during the program and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, the first topic, know thy donor, Jason. So we hear a lot about donor-centered or relationship-based fundraising, right? It's a big topic. If you go to <clears throat> any of these conferences like AFP, Association of Fundraising Professionals, like Donor-centered philanthropy, right? So, that seems obvious right so but in your experience why do you why do you why do we need to focus so much on the relationship and not just the needs of the organization like if you have a great product then that should do it like why is it being other why is it being donor-centric
1: uh critical to the fundraising process it's a really good question um so you know, it's funny, when I started this career, everyone said to me the same thing. They all said, it's all about the relationship, right? There was like books with that written on the front of it. It's all about the relationship. And I never really understood why, truthfully, until later in my career. It's one of those things that you hear and, you know, you you only begin to understand it like after the time when you needed to really understand it. <laughs> and so, you know, um, it's kind of funny like that. And so, so anyway, um, I better understand now, you know, why it's so important. And the truth is, is that in our higher dollar relationships, um, relation, you know, it's everything. Everything that's involved um, with that has to do with how you dig in with your donors. And in the lower level, it's really spent on, um, it's a, a little less relationship focused, a little bit more transactional in that you know, they, we sort of are doing the same thing we did last year. We're looking for increases from last year. It's focused on that. And we're talking to them about their cash rather than their wealth. And that transition from cash to wealth is really critical in this conversation. If you're going to dig into your IRA you know, or, or, or dedicate a life insurance policy or assign that to a charity, you, know, you really have to know that charity and trust them. Um, and so, so trust building is, is tremendously important here. Um, you know, so what I'll say is that relationships um, are incredibly important, but they're never the same twice. Right? Every relationship is different. Um, so I can't really tell you here in this, in this sort of webinar or, or podcast that we're doing, exactly how to build a relationship because they're all different. But what I can tell you is why it's incredibly important to focus on that. And that's what I took away from this statement after 15 years. And and um, so, so here's what I'll say. Um, because of the fact that they're they're all different, you really have to, Get in and understand the puzzle pieces of how you're going to guide your relationship going forward. So when we get to know a donor, we learn about their preferences. We learn about the things that they care about and their processes and passions. And so what are the things they care about, right? Why do they care about them? And then a really important one, how do they care about this? How do they choose to do that? What does it look like in their family? Um, you know, understanding why they care about those things. Well, what's the story behind that? And as you dig into these things and ask these questions, our donors get to feel closer and closer to us. And it's interesting because we're not a friend, we're not family, but we get such close information because of that middle space. And so when we hear all that, now we have these puzzle pieces in front of us, right? All this information. So now we can decide what to do with it. Um, you know, When we, when we advance the relationship past just introductions, now we have some of these puzzle pieces. We use them to craft how we're gonna move forward. So um, you know, I'll give you an example of how this worked. Um, I'm working with one particular do- <clears throat> sorry, donor right, uh, right now, um, you know, where I worked with them, um, you know, not that long ago. They came on board very quickly with a, a high-level gift. It was a, a million-dollar-plus gift, um, you know, and it was it was pretty fast. Uh, and we had an opportunity to um, get to know them on a different level. And I talked to them about their philanthropy, and they the family said to me you know we take this very seriously they said I get to not I have to or I want to but I get to wake up every morning and think about what my giving will do today um it's a privilege for them and they took it so seriously that a few months later just three months after this make, making this million dollar commitment um the pandemic hit and I knew a lot of their interests and they were particularly positioned to enjoy and be interested in some of the things that were going on with the pandemic. And we have a program like this at Emory that's able to make some serious impact. So I said to them, you know, you entrusted me with your deepest intentions, with what you'd really like to do with philanthropy, with regard to your family and the impacts you want to make in the world. In that context, I feel it's my responsibility to put something in front of you if it fits the kind of impact you're trying to make. Um, in earnest, and I understand that we just had a gift together, but, you know, there's incredible urgency here. You know, would you permit me to put this in front of you? And they said, of course, we expect you to do that. So we had actually transitioned the relationship because of knowing about how they work to them expecting me to put uh, an agreement in front of them. And so that was, that was sort of a new way of thinking about that relationship. And that's a great example, I think, of how relationships can really take an important role.
0: Right, and I, I I have a similar type of lesson that I've learned from my career, is that when you're new at an organization, if, or if you're working with somebody who's coming into a role, um, it's really great to be able to call someone who is a donor, whether they are a current donor or someone who gave a year or two ago and they haven't given a little bit, to ask them what motivated them to give their last gift, right? Mm-hmm. Like just ask them, like some of the things that you were saying were like heavy, heavy stuff, like, you know, what their priorities and their values and 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 what makes them open up their wallet like these are big things so that can sound very intimidating but the truth is is that when you ask them those questions they will run with it right like those are great questions to ask so when i have like someone who's coming into a new role and their job is to go after people who are either existing donors or past donors, the moment you ask somebody i see that you gave to us last year what was your motivation to give they immediately are forced to recall, right? Like what was the original mm-hmm. Fine. you're asking me why I gave. So then now they're starting to go back in their, in their in their head. What was it that moved me to give? And it will probably say be something along the lines of like, "Oh, I was inspired by this or I was at a dinner and saw that or whatever it was that prompted them to give," which positions them now in a, in a in a in a healthy place to have a bigger conversation about the work of your organization while doing it from the lens or the perspective of that donor, right? It's not about me. It's not about me listing off all the virtues and the wonderful things about the organization. It's what, what prompted you to give, right? What inspired you to give? And that opens up that conversation into something uh, into something much more, which I think is very exci- you know, exciting. And, and therefore, I don't have to do most of the talking, right? The moment I ask them why they give or why their parents gave or anything along those lines, I, I now get to listen and pay attention and, and then I start culling all this great information that will become valuable, that will absolutely mm-hmm. serve me. A similar way that it served you would be able to go back to a, a donor and say, I know you just gave, and I know you just gave in a big way, but I would be doing a disservice not to bring this other thing to you. Why? Because I pay attention. I was paying attention, I know what you said to me, and now here is that thing, and I know you know, recognizing that you just gave, I wanted to approach so that. So that definitely is something that resonates with me. I think from a, if you are a, someone who is a development professional, to not be scared by those big questions because anybody who gives is thinking in terms of their legacy. Not necessarily generational legacy, but the, they want to see that their money is not thrown into a black hole. So anything that's going to help, you know, propel that, um, that gift into something that grows and grows and grows mission wise, I think is something that's going to resonate really well. Um, sure. Uh, sure. So I, I'm going to take a question here because I see we've got a question. Um, oh, this is an interesting one, and I think it, it will play into the conversation we're having right now. So uh, Dove is asking from New Jersey is asking um, the benefits of using a coach versus an in-house development officer. You uh, know, you know what what's the priority? Um, you know, obviously different scenarios cause for you know call for different uh, recommendations. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach what's what's some of your thoughts on this i mean obviously i have my own opinion, but i'd love to get yeah. to your take on um in-house versus a coach you know someone on the yeah. outside and thinking yeah. from a donor centric the donor relationship side like you know is, is, what how do you see those those two options weigh in on the relationships and the cultivation and
1: solicitation of donors yeah so i have a couple of thoughts on that you know i think um you know when you have people in the house they're in there for a reason a lot of times you know, it's because they're successful fundraisers, but it's also because they're really good and they have a value and meaning to that particular mission, um, you know, but uh, what a coach sort of allows you to have is an objectification of your strategy, um, right? So, so one of the things that I hope to, you know, talk about today later, because I have all these sort of little things I want to arm people with through this, throughout this, this podcast here is, is working with an outside source or working with somebody who knows more than you do um, and, and using them as a sounding board for all of your strategy. So internal, um, internal people are great for this, but if you're the only development person or, or only one of two or three who's been there for a while or maybe doesn't have a lot of that extra experience, being able to talk to somebody who has a wealth of experience um, in different situations, even if it's not more years of experience under their belt, but it's just varied situations um, where we've had you know a 1,000 donor visits or you know, things like that, um, we can always offer a different lens, and it's so funny because it's not a spectacular thing, but it's 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 kind of dull. But the truth is, is it's that one little idea, that one little instance that you come up with in that creative session where you decide to go that route, and it makes all the difference in the world. Um, truly listening is really something that takes multiple parties to think about. It's hard to absorb somebody one on one and truly understand what they're saying. And so I've always found it helpful. And so I think having a coach really allow you to to objectively look at it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with, definitely agree with that. I think the other thing to consider is, you know, a donor wants to get approached by somebody who represents the mission, right? And that was the number one compliment a fundraiser gets is, I see you believe in what you're doing, right? Like it, it comes out of every fiber of your being. You're animated, you're excited about it. And then the donor, a prospective donor gets excited about it. They want to be a part of it. So I don't think, a coach can replace that function, right? So when you're talking about somebody that's dealing directly with donors, nothing will um, be better than having somebody who works for the organization full time, represents the organization, and say, I am that organization. Um, mm-hmm. But I would definitely say, like, as you said, a coach is valuable in its role of providing ob- objective guidance, holding, holding the organization's task, making sure the work is getting done and um and being able to uh you know give their professional like you said i'm um, doing it for so long and working with a variety of organizations and and knowing what works in a variety of settings um it, it's definitely an advantage but of course at the end of the day you you need to have someone who's the face of the organization who's going to be playing a frontal role of the donor and um always best to, to work with whether it's the founder or the board of directors or the staff um, people who are, you know, eyeball deep in it, they're going to, of course, be the best representative directly with the donor. So
1: um,
0: that's definitely something. No, I, that I,
1: I wanted to, one last thought too on that. You you sort of touched on it, but I, I just want to expand just one more second on it. And that is that, um, you know, uh, a lot of times, sort of looking for that outside counsel allows you to get, you know, I know what it looks like to have a fully funded shop, right? And a lot of um, younger charities or smaller charities may not. Have the opportunity to have a cause marketing department, you know, right next door to them, or people that are specifically hired to write just these kinds of grants, you know. But um, but I've been around those people for a long time, and I know where we take individuals, where they may move from this, you know, and then expanding the relationship to their entire corporation, right, or their entire board, and really using that relationship to leverage for new pieces. So helping to encourage their sphere, and I and a lot of that is. Is afforded by the budgets that I've been able to work, you know, within, or that coaches have been able to work within, um, and so you sort of get to expand, you know, and get the experience of having a full budget, of having like a fully fleshed out operation, but for, you know, just a taste of it to be able to get exactly what you need for the output, um, and that's a pretty unique opportunity too. That can be, in, you know, what we're talking here is taking a gift from potentially five thousand to hundred thousand dollars. You know, you really make that up pretty quick, and it takes that sort of little bit of acumen to get there. Yeah, exactly. Okay,
0: great. Um, We've got more questions, but we're going to save it for the next part of the program because I want to launch into the next topic, and I think some of the questions work equally well there. Um, uh, We're going to go on to topic number two about building trust, right, being able to Uh move that relationship along. Um, and building trust with the organization, and getting to the point where they want to make a serious investment. So, of course, as I've said in the last topic, um, if anyone in the audience has a question, there is a, a question box right underneath the live stream. I, you know, do recommend you submit any questions or comments uh, there. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll try to get to them as we go on. Just interesting fact: the original poll that we that we did asking people. I was before you came on, Jason, uh, you might have been able to hear it in the wings, but um, the question we asked the audience at the beginning was if, if their organizations are um, are supportive of their efforts in, in, in being, doing things that are relationship-driven fundraising. Um, 67% said no, which I found to be very interesting. I mean, I, I not, and not surprisingly, completely because I think there's not a lot of necessarily stuff that's baked in to an organization like procedural, uh, things that would, that would foster relationship driven fundraising. I think that usually you find more of that housed with the individual, right? Like the Jason mm-hmm. Zwang is the one who brings the relationship strategy or Jonah Halper, not necessarily the organization having it baked in, but it's, it, I, I find it, I do find it interesting that majority of people obviously, you know, are tuning in. Uh, hopefully you're getting something out of this when we talk about relationship-driven fundraising because most people don't have that as something that is either discussed regularly in the organizational setting um or or baked in in any in any real way so the topic that we're going to talk about now is building trust so i'm going to ask you a question uh jason on this topic Um, if we're talking about authentic relationships i would imagine that relationships it's a fluid experience right it's not something that's just like you know an on and off switch like non-engaged engaged
1: non-donor
0: <laughs> donor yeah, <laughs> I yeah that's that, right. that, that sounds great but it's just not reality it's like a really you know like your own relationship um so if that's the case um what do you think the progression looks like right so we're talking about uh, building trust and building relationships beyond what you would find in a textbook right so i'm not saying like you know opening up the manual page 86 to 105 this is what it should look like just from your experience what are some things that you think are some key benchmarks or key things that you've found um, in your experience you know it might not be the same for everybody but in your experience that are that show that progression of that relationship throughout you know going from someone who's new to you new to the organization and
1: becoming a significant donor yeah that's another really good question and you're right of course it's not fluid um or i'm sorry it is fluid it is not binary um and it is absolutely something that you know you can find some steps in a textbook um, you know, but but it's really it's really a it becomes a gut thing over time. Um, you know, and there's certain things that you want to hear. And I want to talk a lot about some of those strategies right now. Um, you know, I I think that I think that this is a great place where I can sort of unload a couple of a couple of strategies for people. So the first thing I want to talk about is building trust is really the equivalent of um what we call in our industry cultivation, right? Which is and cultivation is one of the five pillars of of donor-centered fundraising. So we have qualification, cultivation, solicitation, uh, stewardship. And so, so, um, so this is really where we put all that together and where we start to build that trust in the beginning of this. And so as we're cultivating people, if you take my previous example from the last answer where I said our relationship building was getting us the puzzle pieces, um, really what this does is take those puzzle pieces and start to put them into place, right? Think of like Candyland, you know, it looks like, it looks like the actual map. Now we take these pieces that we've learned and we put them into the map and we start to do this. So the way I like to do this and start to build trust is um, one thing that I, and I'll start with this because I think it's counter to the way that a lot of people choose to do it. A lot of people in organizations like to talk about why we're the winner, why we're the best, you know, why we're so good at what we do. And that's really where you start the conversation um, by saying, you know, this is it. And and the thing is, is this is where you get, you know, the $500, $1,000, maybe $5,000 gifts, where people say, good job, you know, shake hands. Sounds like you're doing a great job. You've really told me everything I needed to know. I'm gonna go ahead and make a gift. And that's great um, on a certain level, but it cannot, it, it won't really get you to where you need to be to have the deeper conversations. In order to do that, you have to start focusing on the problem. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, What is the problem in the world or in your community or in your sphere that your organization or you in particular, as a development person, are trying to solve? Talk about the scope of that problem, right? Who does it affect? Who does it impact? Uh, What do those people look like? What do their nights and days look like, right? Are there certain people around the world that are a complete subset, different from who you expect, that also are getting impacted by this? Are there things that have adverse reactions that we could be controlling but we're not and we haven't even thought of that yet? So the scope of this problem gets people to say, wow, you know, I've had my little slice of this, but I didn't understand just how big this was. I didn't understand that it was something that there's an incredible need for, you know, and and then you shift from talking about the scope of the problem to why the organization is uniquely positioned to address that. So why us, right? Well, because we have this many partners, we know these particular people, our people at this organization have this kind of experience, you know, so not yet saying why you're most successful. We're still not talking about the winner. We're talking about why are we the ones to, to capture this incredibly complex problem? Um, and, you know, that is something where, you know, you start to get a lot of traction where, where people start saying, wow, now they start feeling like it's we, right? I'm now engaged in the problem as a potential donor. Um, I have understood this is a, an issue. Uh, that's your scope. And then I'm in the right room. And with the right people that's you being uniquely positioned the next natural conversation is so what have we tried so far and this is where you say look you know here's what we've tried so far um, let me explain why it hasn't gotten to where we need it and what you're sharing in this conversation is you're eliminating all the other avenues that essentially leave you with the need for unrestricted um because we do get federal or government grants in some cases you know but those take so much time a third of my time is spent on reporting requirements and you know all this other kind of stuff and and, and i just don't have time to do my work uh or, or i need to know the answer before i can even do the experiment you know um that's a lot of complaints that i get now at, at emory um and and that makes it really challenging to get that kind of funding um you know talking about why uh, funding from a certain foundation can be tough Um, you know, this is, these are part of the reasons we haven't gotten there, but also the solutions we've come up with really have fallen short because we haven't had that flexibility or that partner that can move with us and be dynamic as we try new things from the uniquely positioned, smart people that we have on board. Um, and the last thing I like about that too, is it gets all the questions that, you know, what you should do questions gets those out of the way too. Um, you know, nobody says to you at this point, you know, Oh, you should hire this person or I know a guy that does this, you know, part of what we're talking about in this, Step three here is you know why we already have these right people on board, but why they just don't have the fuel that they need. So after this question, it naturally begs a, a question session um, where we get donors talking about you know, why is it that I should um, you know maybe I should participate in this, and, and what is it that you might need to move that needle, right? So this is now you're talking about you know three phases that get you get a donor deeply engaged and cultivated to understanding their purpose and why they need to be there. So, you know, that's one tip I'll give you is to talk about the problem in the world, not the solution. Um, The other thing I'll say is um, you always want to have a a strategy for a sounding board. And I I just mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, You know, we were talking about why having a coach is important. So having somebody else to bounce these strategies off of is tremendously important to hear yourself objectively. Doing things in a vacuum is never a great idea. Um, Look at your portfolio every day as well. Uh, So you have a group of people that you've decided are likely prospects to improve their giving. Every day, take a look at those names. Just run through it, just on your phone, whatever it is, really quickly. Think about what's going on in your organization and match those things together, right? Take action. Send some emails. Say, I just wanted, I was just thinking about you. I just want to let you know this happened, right? And by doing that, you're moving the needle. Not every step has to be a gift conversation, but every step should be relevant. So make sure that you're having relevant steps when you do that. Um, another piece of advice, you know, I, I like to think of this um, as sort of an external camera. When I'm in visits with donors, I'm thinking about what's going on right in front of my face and deeply connecting with them um, in the moment. But I'm also having a little part of my brain think about strategy. Why are we talking? About this? You know, why is this happening right now? Um, you know, and, and, and where are we going with this conversation and always tying that back? is incredibly important which is you know, why you want to have good strategy built out on the front end so you don't get distracted while you're in the meeting onto something that could be a shiny object and that, that will you, you back I,
0: when you describe having a camera over here watching you my version of that I, you know i resonate with that but i i the analogy i've always used or the way i've always done it is like i know i know where on the wall i want to get to right? i know i know what i ultimately want to accomplish with this person So that whatever the conversation is, and like I said, I can be present and the way you can kind of bifurcate, you know, as you were saying before, like the idea of saying, how do I be present, but also paying attention to where this conversation is going is that you've all in an effect, you've already kind of set yourself a cultivation plan. like You know, really where you want to go with this person and Mm -hmm. that now leads me to be able to focus on where I am now, but always making sure that it's heading really towards where I want it to go. I can be focused on them but know what the ultimate goal of that meeting is. And one of the other things that you said before, which I think really resonated as well, is the idea that um, when you have somebody who you're unloading your problems of the organization and, and big you know, existential problems and why the organization's unique to tackle it and, and not like you know, we're the winner, but rather this is the challenge of the day and we're uniquely suited to, to fix it. I find that exercise to be valuable, not even on a big scale, but even on a, on a, like, what's going on in your, in your world right now? Like what you're, like, this month, right? Like what are we dealing with yeah. right now? What's the challenge? And I'll bring those type of things up when, especially when I think the person across the table from me might have some insight or value to bring to that challenge. Because I think ultimately what we're describing is, and for example, doing that on that smaller scale creates a higher sense of urgency. It's more tangible because it's not some like esoteric big idea that you're trying to tackle, but rather, we need to figure this out in the next two weeks, right? That creates something that, okay, well, let's come up with up with solutions. And in either case, whether it's a short-term issue or a bigger organizational issue, or a challenge that they're trying to overcome, it's getting the donor to think in terms of we, right? Like, you're getting them to say, you know, what can we do? Like, that's what you're looking for at that moment. I know we've had conversations about this in the past, but like, that's the thing that we're really looking for. And it's like that, almost like they move from the opposite side of the table and they've come to sit on your side of the table to tackle the same issue as you, and that's really when you know you've got them in a bigger way. It doesn't mean you've got them forever. It means that you're doing something correct in getting them to be a problem solver. And you know, people support what they help to create, or they help what, or what they help to work on. So they are expending their energies on trying to come up with real solutions, whether it's an introduction to somebody, whether it's their technical expertise that they're uniquely positioned in technology and finance, and they're a CTO of uh, Morgan Stanley, and that their skills might be uniquely suited for your challenge at your organization, that's absolutely something that you should bring up with them because they'll immediately pull down the board and start writing all you know what their ideas and solutions to your problem, and it gives you permission to engage them further. Because the moment they start making
2: recommendations,
0: now you can go back to them in a week's time and say, Hey, I took your recommendations. This is what I've done with them. And this is the their repercussions or the positive repercussions or the negative, you know, whatever is going on. And you have that permission to continue the dialogue with them and engage with them further. That can happen if you go in there, I, 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 me, 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 all about you, we're the winner, we're the best. It, using a dating analogy, if a woman or a man sitting across from you is talking about themselves the entire time, right? Like, we've all had those situations where the person across from you is all about themselves. There's no bigger turnoff, right? The conversation is basically dead in the water. You have no interest to engage with them further, and you're just trying to find a way to get out of that conversation. So that's incredibly important. Even, you know, for a fundraiser who's super excited about the mission and loves what they do, you kind of need to check yourself and say, okay, I may love what I have to offer. I may think I'm the greatest thing since life spread. But I need to frame the conversation in a way that it's not about me, but it's about the problem and how we can solve Mm -hmm. that problem together. I think that's that's really really fantastic, and I I think it's really really great insight. Um, I'm going to take a question here, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do Um, it. All right, let's see. Okay, here's a good one. This relates. This is a Corona-related one, I'm sure, and it ties (laughs) into the whole solicitation piece of it. Uh, Dan wants to know how have you used Zoom. Or I guess really, you know, any uh, uh, software that is, you know, remote conversations or video conversations for solicitation of donors or acquisition of donors, making new friends. How how do you see Zoom playing into that dynamic? Um, doesn't have to be for major gifts. you saying not specifically for major, you know, virtual events. I don't mean Zoom or doing something for virtual events per se, but just on a one-on-one basis to engage using something like a uh, a Zoom, or uh, I don't think anyone uses Skype anymore, uh, but you know something like a Zoom or, or, or Microsoft Teams or something that like that. Do you have any thoughts
1: yeah, on that? I do. So I have I've found that today um, potential donors or donors are much more likely to take a meeting over Zoom. Um, you know, in fact, some prefer it even to a phone call. Uh, you know, which is good, and it's sort of a, uh, a I think a um, sort of a uh, recognition of an old school mentality of having face-to-face meetings that once those started to go away during COVID, people missed the opportunity to connect more deeply. Um, You know, it's interesting. We, We thought we were just moving forward in this society, like it was a linear path. And you know, like we're never, what's gonna happen to old school, you know, handwritten letters and all this stuff. And we're starting to see people come back. And I think Zoom is an outgrowth of that. And so I've used Zoom in a number of different ways to have initial calls and I use it. So, and I say to them, I'd like to have a Zoom because it allows me to share my screen so that I can really show you some unique things. And I I couldn't do this before, right? I really couldn't do this over the phone. And it was tough in person for me to bring, you know, this paper. It was distracting. But Zoom allows me to just pop something up on the screen and I think makes us more productive. Um, And people have appreciated that opportunity. I've also seen a a former colleague of mine who's particularly apt at Major Gift Fundraising. Um, What she did is, uh, so they engage with their mission very directly. And so they have lots of photos, lots of things to touch and see and feel. And so what she does is she takes her Zoom background and loads in that potential, you know, that Zoom background screen where you have that little thing where you can load up all your photos. She actually loads up all the photos she needs there. And while she's talking, she takes them on a tour and changes her background so that she can say, so here we're doing this. And then we move to this phase. And this is what it looks like. And you'll see this and this in the photo, you know. Um, and I thought that was really, really cool, a really unique way to use. So that's that's personally how I'm how I'm using it
0: yeah yeah I, I would absolutely say the thing I love the most about these zoom meetings I don't like sitting in the same place pretty much all day so I would love to be able to go to someone's office that would be wonderful uh, but under the circumstances the best thing is without a question the ability to showcase your mission right? you could be six thousand miles away from somebody and like you describe the ability to share stuff um, and to do it, it almost feels like a working meeting. and You just get more done. It can be more powerful. Um, I've seen instances where clients invited um, one of the constituencies who were served by the organization to participate on a Zoom call, like access to people, right? Like the idea of saying, okay, how can I take someone who is affected by our mission and bring them to someone's office? That, that could be a challenge, right? That's a logistical problem. When you say, look, you know, I have someone I'd love you to meet and get on a call and invite them to participate on the call. I think that it's socially acceptable. It's something that's powerful. They get to meet somebody that's uh, directly affected, um, and therefore it's not just like you talking the entire time. It's you able to have someone there who is either the Maven and expert in whatever the subject matter is, or someone who's affected mm-hmm. by the mission. It's just you're able to put your mission first, and that, that's one of the wonderful things that I'm I'm seeing with with these Zoom things. So hopefully. That answered the question of the uh, of Dan who, who asked that. I think it was a, it's a very good question. It's just a matter of thinking yeah. creatively about how you're going to showcase your mission um, from wherever you are. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Okay. Um, let's go to the third and final topic. Uh, this is always a crowd pleaser whenever you ask this kind of question. When relationships go awry, when things don't go as planned. Um, <laughs> You know, we we all I've you know, I've been to conferences where it's like a failure conference where you're focusing on what doesn't work, and I think there's a a lot to get out of it. I I really like that stuff because it showcases obviously you know what it's like in real in the in the real world with not everything being all swimmingly you know good. Like you know it's not the Facebook or social media where you could do no wrong. Like you see everyone's highlight reel. So you
1: see like it's but we never talk on. about it either. We never talk yeah. about it as fundraisers. It's like every time we go into a meeting. You know, everybody's got their, you know, their scarves and their tea and their, you know, stuff, right? And everyone's perfect. And every move they made was perfect. And let me tell you something, being on two regional teams where I traveled around the country to raise money, there is there was a lot of things that were imperfect. Um, I, I mean, I, I, it's unlimited, um, you know, and, and all those mistakes, you know, I keep going back to this question of like, why have a coach? I made all those mistakes for you. <laughs> Right, I already got him out of the way. Um, you know, I mean, like somebody else paid for it. You know, like we're we're good. And and so I I think that that's there's something real there to talk about. And you know, I'm happy to talk about my mistakes um, because it got me to where I am. And luckily, I'm one of the kind of guys that you know, hopefully makes them once. You know, I know people that make them more than once. And you know, for me, I take it really deeply. And so I I try to only make them once. But there's a lot. I mean, I couldn't. Imagine the amount of mistakes. All right, so let me, let me frame it this way. Give me an idea yeah. of where you, know, you
0: start a relationship, it's, it's moving forward, and then it derails. Like, what does a derail yeah. look like? Because right? like, so, if, if it never starts, okay, that's one thing, right? It, it, the connection's not there. For a variety of reasons, it doesn't play out. I guess I'm more interested in knowing that if we're talking about moving a relationship along, Right? You're talking about that. Like we said, it's not linear. It's not binary. It's You know, it's a, it's a, something that happens organically. So it doesn't always, sometimes it withers or if something goes off the rails. Tell me a little bit about your experience of it, something going off the rails and A, how you recognized it was going off the rails and then B, what you did to correct it. If it was able to be corrected, but it, give me an idea of something, you know, or a story or
1: two that, that you feel uh, did that for you. Yeah. Um- you know i'm gonna think of uh, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of that happened uh, in the last few years, and um I'm bringing this one up for a particular reason, and uh, it's not you know like a funny one or it's not like an easy grab. This is one that you know i should' I should have known better and and so that's why I want to highlight it um, it's you know it's a particularly deep one right uh and so What happened was I was working with a uh, potential donor who's very excited about making a gift. And, um, you know, this potential donor was also also a consultant. And so they were very knowledgeable about the subject. This is always a really tough gift to close because they know all the variables already. You, You know, part of our advantage as fundraisers is that they only, you know, the donors only know what we tell them, right? But in this case, they already knew everything. So it was really hard. And and the thing is, is like their gift was being asked to be made out of gratitude and from the heart and all these kinds of things. And I allowed the subject matter experts that I worked with who really, you know, go and do the work to tell me what they needed directly rather than listening to the donor and just making the, the passionate, you know, gift that they wanted to make. And we ended up getting very much into the weeds in a very complicated gift, achieving something that was, you know, not agreed upon internally, all the way across the board, that was not, you know, approved, that was not simple. Um, and it ended up then getting compounded by deeper issues later. Um, but the bottom line is that I did not listen to the donor in making a gift from their heart. We thought about making the gift from the brain. And that's a mistake. That was a mistake. Um, Ultimately, the gift came in too low. It was unfocused. Um, There was not a good opportunity for stewardship attached to it, which is always what I'm thinking of when I'm asking for a gift, is how can we steward this to, you know, and is this a a good one that's meaty, that we can show them in a year, like, wow, we've done so much with this. This one, really, we couldn't. Um, And, It basically created a lack of trust between me and these subject matter experts in the future because I trusted them and then the gift didn't come in. And so now I don't trust them as much, but they also don't trust me as much because that gift didn't come in, at least at the level that we wanted. So that was a big problem. And um, I needed to just listen to what the donor wanted to do and then simplify it and say, look, if you want to do this, let's set this up. We'll make it nice and easy. And there's so much we can do with it. Keep it high level. Don't keep it so small, so detailed, that it ends up with this complicated program that you're held to with reporting requirements and really challenging stuff later on. That's not what giving is about, and philanthropy should never really take that seat. Um, And so we ended up recovering because uh, the money was never spent. It basically never happened. It got too political afterwards. Um, Money never got spent. And so I went back to the donor. I said, can we shift it to something much more from the heart? We did. And so now we're in a period where we're sh- we shifted this gift, and we're waiting now for the gift to get spent on something much more impactful that is a lot more from the heart, a lot more philanthropic, um, you know, that, that is, is, is ultimately going to um, be very easy to steward and falls right in our pipeline of gifts that we close often for us, um, you know, but it, just, it took two years to get it there, and it was such a small gift. It's the smallest gift I've closed since I've been at Emory. Um, you know, and, and it's, and it's really like just being a big game. And so that's been a, that's been a problem. And, you know, I want to highlight a couple of things also not to do, um, you know, and this is some of the, so the most common one that I see among fundraisers, especially sort of young or new fundraisers is placing data where it doesn't exist. So they'll listen to a donor and they'll think that they'll hear them say something, but they really didn't say that. I had somebody call me up once, um, from an affiliate at Habitat and ask me, Um, Hey, you know, I have this pledge from this donor, you know, something that is sort of a multi-year gift that they've um, committed to. And, uh, you know, this donor basically came to me and and made a a payment towards this pledge that was larger than they agreed to. Right. So they only needed to give a thousand dollars this year, but they gave us fourteen hundred dollars. You know, should I take that thousand dollars and credit it to their open existing pledge, and then take that $400 and open a new pledge and think that they're asking us to make a different kind of gift and talk to them about another gift? And I was like, (laughs) did they, what? I was like, when you have a credit card bill, right? And you, the minimum required payment is $100, but you pay 150, what happens? The whole 150 comes off the top. I was like, this isn't complicated. They were placing data (laughs) in places, thinking the donor wanted to do something that never existed. And, and in the lack of, of data, you want, here's what you want to do. You want to say to this donor, and you get better at this over time, this is what I'm hearing from you. I just want to verify that this is your expectation, right? And that helps you build trust and build the relationship, a good working relationship. So don't ever be afraid to do that. Remember, you are a relationship builder, but you're also playing a little bit of a customer service role here, and you want to make sure you process things accordingly and do the, exactly what they expect. Um, seeking directives from donors is always a good idea. Please, can you give me a directive on something? I'm not quite sure how I how you want this to happen.
0: I don't think I've ever had an instance where I've asked to repeat back. I repeated back what I thought I heard, and the donor would be annoyed or potentially annoyed yeah. that I that I did. like it never happens. Like they're they're thrilled that you're saying. Let me just make sure I get this right, right? Like that's always something that's appreciated, and it shows that you're. You know you're being present, you want to make sure you get it right. they prof- they appreciate your professionalism. That's without a question. I would definitely say that most of the time and I've heard it from your your story, and I you know from my personal experience, when I feel in a level a level of desperation and I, and generally I don't, but if there's a certain dynamic with a particular donor, like you said, where they're very analytical where they're very focused on the minutia, I'll go into a, a mode of okay, what do I need to give them to secure this gift? And that, the risk of that is what you had where, okay, well, now you're promising great terms and reporting and all this. That's not in the best, best interest of the, of the organization, not in the best interest of the, of the stakeholders of the organization. You're doing the best interest of trying to get that gift in with the, with the minutia and all the, the terms that are being brought by this donor. And that, that feeling of desperation never pans out pans out well. Right? It never plays right. to your plays to the strength of the ask. And what you do, what you described as the fix of going back to them and say, look, you know what, the money wasn't spent, but like let's look at this again. And you said do it in a in a bigger from the heart uh, approach. You're getting them out of the minutia. You're taking control of it. you you know instead of letting them be at the driver driver's wheel, and the one calling the shots. You're saying I'm calling the shots now, right? Like look you know look at me, I'm the captain now, right? <laughs> so that, that's really what. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's happening. You're basically saying, we know as an organization. I know as a professional, what's in the best interest of our organization. Let's talk about what's going to move you the most within within that those parameters, and we're going to make this something that in a year from now, when you want to see the impact, we're going to be we're going to have something really fantastic to show you. That confidence and that approach that you did is definitely something that I feel from my experience. The difference between what didn't work or what failed along the way, and what what, what I found to be very, very successful. So that's mm-hmm. something I just wanted to re- reinforce the way I the way I experience it. Um, Jason, I want to ask a question from one of our one of our uh, uh, people at home. Uh, yeah. Dalit, uh wants to know, in your opinion, what is the most common fundraising mistakes when approaching donors? So what do you think? You know, when you're approaching donors, mm-hmm. the most common
1: mistakes. First pretty, uh, I want to say. I remember, I see her question on the screen here. I just want to say, I remember, Deli. she's the one from South Africa that's calling in, right? Right. Something? Yeah, South Africa. Yeah. So yeah, thank South Africa. you. That's amazing. Yeah. I just want to highlight here, we're talking from Atlanta to Israel, South Africa. I just want to make that clear, because that's a really big deal, yeah. and the fact that relationships work the same all over the world, okay? I want to highlight that. So that said, um, the most common fundraising mistake, uh, first of all, hands down, is not being authentic. Um, you know, one of the most amazing things you can have happen on a donor call is laughter. If you can have laughter happen right on the outset of your call, you are creating a relationship already, right? That You, you can always call that person back. They, it's how, you, how people, how you make them feel is so important, so much more important than what you say. And so I always try to include an opportunity to lighten the mood. And to, to, right, because that's the conversation we're having. And everything about our organization is so serious. But I just want to say that laughter is incredibly important. So not being authentic is the biggest mistake. You really, truly have to be in touch with yourself and that authenticity in order to be really good at being a fundraiser.
0: Right. That's fantastic. Um, Okay. So we're going to, before we close, because those are the topics I wanted to cover, I have one more question I want to ask you from Robert. Uh, my boss is giving me a hard time about hitting certain fundraising metrics. How do I manage expectations while striving to hit these goals? This is this is like a classic. Okay. I've got a boss who is setting these very aggressive or very you know yeah you know uh, yeah vicious goals, and I I don't want to be fired in six months or a year, right? Oh God, help me with the stress, Jason. What do we do? Yeah.
1: So metrics are one of my favorite things because they do work. Uh, but they're also, you know, they can be, they can be really challenging and very rigorous. Um, you know, so here's how, here's how to, to manage that situation, in my opinion. Um, first of all, you want to have uh, complete transparency, you know, with your boss about your performance towards it. Um, and what you really want to do is break down your metrics. So they're usually given to you in an annual sort of um, tranche, right? You want to break them down to per month, well, per quarter, and then per month and then per week, and then even per day. And then you take your per day one, and you bump it up to the next whole number, and then that's what you want to hit. It's going to give you that little extra edge towards getting over the top, right? You want to also use the math from the top, add 10%. And then when you break that down, it'll seem very reasonable, but at the end of the year, you're going to find that you've blown your goals out of the water, which is really the goal. I also want you to remember that metrics are a leading indicator to gifts, right? So metrics are not gifts. Um, right, and, and they can be closely tied, but it has to be substantive mood So you can't have you can't fluff your metrics. If you fluff your metrics, it won't work. The magic will not work. Metrics. Um, so they're a great thing, but you have to do them in earnest.
0: Sorry, give me give me examples. What metrics, just so the people at home understand? What are some things? Yeah, you sure. In terms,
1: of, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is how many donor visits you have per year. This is how many outbound calls you have to make per year. This is how many visits within a certain portfolio you have to make. This is how many first-time visits you have to have versus how many stewardship visits you have to have. Um, you know, really, it's the organization saying to you or saying to, you know, their fundraisers, these are the kinds of conversations we want to be having. We're in exploratory mode. So, really, they'll say, we want to we want you to have the, you know, 60 or 70 percent of your visits have to be qualification, have to be new donors. or You know, we really haven't spent time saying thank you to donors this year. So 60 or 70 percent of your visits have to be in stewardship. um, Right. And so there's they're usually something that is it's your activity monitored on a certain amount of time to make sure that you can get to this goal. And and that's assumed to be leading indicators to moving the dollar needle.
0: Perfect.
1: Okay, so setting
0: expectations is important. I can tell you just from my experience as a consultant. We do project management approach to donor cultivation and solicitation is key. If you want your boss to manage if you want to manage expectations of your boss or whoever they, they is providing that level of supervision or oversight, letting them see like you said, those metrics, you know, the, the calls, the meetings, the introductions, all that stuff, they will they will not be as difficult on you on the on the dollars raised because they will see the process in action. If they don't see the process in action, then they're going to focus on um, only the dollars raised. So it's a really important. And obviously the metrics is how you get to the dollars raised. You need to get the dollars raised. But the way to do it is to show those metrics. And you can, and with your your technology work. now, uh, software, uh, pipeline materials that you can use to, to demonstrate that, that process along the way. And that your boss or whoever can see what's going on with those relationships, how many relationships and where you are in those processes. I mean, yeah, that, that's definitely my, uh, my thought on that. Okay, Jason. You're yes. great. I love oh, it. You. Thank you very much. Audience it, this was the first pipeline live we've done. So you really set the bar pretty great. high. Anyone comes after you is going to go, oh, God, I got to compete with Jason. So I really <laughs> appreciate that. It, now, now you've made it that any guest that comes, I have, they're, they're only going to come up higher. They have to, because otherwise, you know, <laughs> they'll look silly. <laughs> thank you. Jonah. Um, I appreciate it. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we'll be in touch. We'll, we'll see you around the block. And uh, thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Take good care. All right.
2: All right.
0: Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Um, I hope you had a great time. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can visit us online at altracity.com slash pipeline or slash pipeline live. That's the link you're on right now to watch the live event. But I definitely hope you uh, enjoyed the program. We will have a recording available in the near future. It will be available on YouTube and then we will eventually launch the podcast audio version for everyone at home to listen to our guests. We'll, we'll give ourselves a, a couple sessions to get, um, to get that, you know, set up before we launch the, the, the audio podcast. But thank you very much for joining us and have a great morning, day, evening, wherever you are in the world. Stay safe, stay healthy and we will see you next time. Thank you.